You are not the body. You are the mindful, loving awareness that notices this body with kindness and care. Welcome to the Jack Cornfield Heart Wisdom Hour. We are delighted to share with you Jack's innate common sense wisdom and his clear open heart. If you are interested in supporting Jack's podcast, go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash Jack. So thank you for joining. It's a great pleasure. And um, let's start with uh, about 10 minutes of meditation. And then we'll do a little bit of teachings and mostly some dialogue and questions and responses. So if you would, let yourself find a way to sit that is comfortable and at ease, gracious, like the king or queen on your throne, both easy, gracious, and at the same time, a sense of dignity, presence. You don't have to sit in any weird posture. You're weird enough as you are without adding to it from the meditation. But find your way, your way on this earth to sit halfway between heaven and earth and take your seat. And when you're ready, allow your eyes to close gently. And take three slow, long breaths. And notice what happens as you do. In keeping your attention here and now in your body, begin with some simple relaxation. Let your eyes and face be soft. Loosen the jaw. If you like, you can roll your head in a little circle to release your neck and let it find a simple upright. Let the shoulders relax and the arms and hands rest easily. Feel the weight of your body 
the connection with gravity that brings you in the earth, you are part of the earth, brings you together in a steady seat, just now like a tree with roots. Let the breath be soft, the belly be soft as well. The breath natural. Let the heart be soft as well to receive whatever arises with kindness, compassion. And now with this embodied attention, with loving, mindful, loving awareness, feel how this whole body breathes itself. It's breathing with the earth. And with each breath, allow a sense of ease, and calm to grow. Let the breath breathe itself, the world breathing with you, breathing you. Ease and relaxation and presence. And with this mindful, loving awareness, now become aware of the whole field of sensations of your body. The coolness and warmth, the tingling and pressure, the places that are contracted or stressed, and the ones that are at ease. No judgment. And feel how the body 
breathes itself in the middle of all of this. And as if to give a little bow to your body for all that it's carrying, say thank you. Thank you to your body for carrying so much. What's difficult, what's beautiful. Thank you, I'm breathing with you now. And feel a sense of graciousness and appreciation. This body of pleasures and pains and joys and struggles. Let this bow be one of loving kindness and awareness. Thank you, body. Let's breathe together. And find an ease and a calm. And with the same mindful, loving awareness, become aware of all the feelings of the heart, just as the body carries so much. The heart carries longing and love, grief and tears, connections, worry and fear. carries joys and sorrows of so many kinds. And with the same mindful, loving awareness, holding it with such kindness, breathe gently and say to your heart, thank you. Thank you for carrying so much. I'm okay just now, you can relax. And let's breathe together body and heart, just where we are. Calm and steady. ease 
and sense your mind, the busyness of mind of stories and planning and remembering and images and words and responses and conversations and ideas. Very, very busy. And as you feel the energy of the mind, as if to bow to it with loving awareness, kindness, say, thank you for trying to keep me safe. Thank you, busy mind. Thank you. I hold you with compassion and appreciation. You can relax. I'm okay just now. You can rest. I'm meditating. Let the mind quiet and feel how the breath breathes itself. As the mind quiets, just here, the heart softens. And the body rests. And notice how you have become the witness. You are not the body. You are the mindful, loving awareness that notices this body with kindness and care. That notices this breath graciously. You are the awareness that notices all that the heart is carrying, the tears and the beauty. You are the awareness that is witness to the movements of mind. Relax and open. You are the field of mindful, loving awareness. This is who you really are. Consciousness born into this body. Rest in it. The timeless, steady witness of it all. Gracious, at ease. And when you're ready, keeping the quality of presence and kindness, let your eyes open again. So that was a meditation that took you through or included the mindfulness of breath, 
and body of feelings and thoughts and an invitation to become the loving awareness itself. As you can hear and sense through the 40 days of this training, there are many simple ways to steady the mind and open the heart and come into the presence of this reality of this moment. For some, it will be primarily the breath, and that is wonderful. For some, it will be a mindfulness that opens to the play of feelings or includes a mindfulness of pictures and thoughts and images. For some of you, it may be that you practice with metta a lot and loving kindness becomes your main practice. And for some, this sense of being the loving witness, consciousness itself, the mindful loving awareness. There's only one bad kind of meditation. That's the kind that you don't do. Otherwise, it's an exploration. It's a invitation to bring the body and heart and mind here present in a, in a wakeful way. Now, a few more things to say, kind of questions that have come up. Some people are worried because they're falling behind in the course and they're afraid they'll get up failing grade or something like that from the Buddha who gives you a report card. But you can't fall behind in mindfulness. And if you've got a busy life, the course is open to you and it will continue to be available. So if it takes 40 days and nights like Noah, wonderful. If it takes 50 or 60, that's also fine. Stay with it and let it nourish you and keep going as you need. Then there was the question of, what about if there's lots of pain? How am I to be with that? Um, and it's important that you don't make the meditation into a kind of striving battleground with your experience. To the extent that you can be with things that are difficult or painful, physically painful or grief, and wrap them with loving kindness or be the witness to them or hold yourself kindly, or breathe with the physical pain and make space around it, terrific. And to the extent that it's overwhelming, shift your attention and go to a place that gives you a sense of steadiness and ease. Feel your body seated on the earth with a sense of gravity and dignity and shift away from the pain. Or do a little loving kindness practice for a time for someone you love. Picture your dog or your favorite niece or nephew or grandchild or child or neighbor. And then come back when you can. It doesn't have to be a struggle. I think of my dear colleague and friend, Frank Ostaseski, who ran the Zen Center Hospice in San Francisco for a long time. And he was with a man who was in a great deal of physical pain. And Frank taught him to soften and meditation 
ways of loving kindness. And the man said, oh, it's still so painful, even though he was taking all the meditation medications they could give. And in dying, you should be able to get whatever medications you need. Um, and Frank said, well, how about if I put a hand on the place that hurt so much where he had his cancer? And he moved toward it. And the fellow said, oh, that hurts too much. That Don't touch. So Frank said, how about if I lift my hand up and you just feel the presence of my hand a little ways away? And the fellow said, well, that's a little better, but it still hurts too much. And Frank said, how about this? And he moved his hands way like up above the body, the man's body, five feet away as if there was surrounding it with a cloud of kindness and tenderness. And the fellow said, oh, that's good. Just there. That's good. And then he said, so what should I do now? And Frank said, you know what to do. And the fellow said, oh, only love, only love. And that became his mantra, only love, only love in his last days there. So what you're learning in this practice is how to quiet the mind, steady the attention with the breath and body, how to be the loving witness of experience, and then how to bring this quality of mindful loving awareness to a deep listening to one another empathy and connection, listening to others as you listen to your own breath and body. And there's something so profound about the capacity to listen. The world has lost it, <clears throat> the kind of conflict in our families, our communities, in the politics of the world, in the warfare, and so forth because we don't know how to actually listen with the heart to each other. My beloved Trudy, my wife and colleague and partner, all these things, <coughs> she went to work um, as a volunteer for a small and wonderful anti-genocide group called IACT in the Darfur refugee camps. And one of the beautiful things about IACT they work in Chad and the Darfur camps and in Central African Republic and then in Azerbaijan and Syria and the various conflict places. When they went into the camps, usually the big NGOs, the international groups come in with, you know, a helicopter and pallets of food or things that they think people need, you know, and they have their ideas about what should happen. The IAC folks called the women together in each part of the different camps and made circles and simply listened. And they asked them not what they needed, but what they wanted. And the women in one of these camps said, what we want is kindergarten and soccer. How about that, you know, with everything else? And then they were asked, why do you want this? And they said, we want our children 
to realize that they can learn and get educated and grow. We want to start them young. So they created all these little pods and trained the young women themselves to be teachers, empowering them. And they said, what about soccer? They said, we want our children to feel like they're part of the world and have a joy that they're not just lost here. And so they began to do, they got the soccer balls and maybe some shoes for people who are playing barefoot. And over the course of the last six years, they created their teams that are now called Darfur United. And this last year, they went to the World Soccer, the, the World Refugee Soccer Cup with refugees from all over going to wherever it was, Macedonia and um, someplace in, you know, in the, uh, other places in the Middle East. And they scored a goal in a match, the, you know, the first set of matches, they scored one goal. And all across these hundreds of thousands of people in the camps, they were listening to their team and realizing, oh, we are, we're recognized, we're part of this world. So there's something so important about this quality of listening and the tenderness of it and the respect, even in difficulty that we bring from the start to our own breath and body in our struggles. And then we bring to one another. The Eightfold Path, which is in the Buddhist teachings, the beginning of how to practice, half of the steps of the Eightfold Path are relational. Wise speech, wise action, wise livelihood, and wise intention with one another to be caring and respectful. And in this part of the course, you've been doing practices that build on your quality of presence and breath, the practices of forgiveness and how to bring attention in the middle of conflict and take a pause and actually listen to one another. All of this is so important and so helpful. And you become part of a community to do this. And in a moment, we'll, we'll shift to do questions or themes or things you want to bring up. But I want to remind you that there is a community forum, and some people have found it really helpful just to be online and, you know, to be able to be part of that forum. So if that would serve you, community is incredibly helpful. We need one another to do this. And then the other is to remind you that when the 40 days is over, or even before, you can join the organization that Tarbrock and I started called Cloud Sangha. We'll put it in the chat. Cloudsangha.co. And you can continue in a small group and really have a weekly group that you sit with and talks about, well, what's happening as you meditate? How do you work with this? Um, and it's tremendously helpful. Um, as my, you heard me, I think, somehow mention what my friend Annie Lamott said, my mind is a bad neighborhood and I try not to go there alone, that there's something so helpful about us supporting each other in this, because the world just wants to kind of pull you out and spin you in all these ways where you lose the center and you lose the quality of presence. Um, but the beautiful thing is that there are these direct 
in simple ways to train ourselves to come back and be present. So with this, I invite you to raise your little virtual hands or put in the chat the questions or themes you want to bring up and then you will be selected one by one and um, we'll get to have a bit of conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Jack, are you ready to take some, some questions? I am. I am indeed, Lorena. Thank you so much. Of course. So we have a question here from Eleonora, Eleonora, and she writes and have a question about how to work with the breath when there is difficulty or trauma. So Eleonora, if you want to say hi to Jack. Hello. Hello. I'm very glad to see you. Where are you calling in from? I'm in Bedford, Massachusetts, but um, originally from Argentina and escaped from Brooklyn of 25 years in Brooklyn. Oh, oh. well, I'm happy to meet you. So do you want to kind of say a little more about your question? Yeah, I think I think it starts with my partner <clears throat> being uh, sick in a ventilator for a long time and uh, me being... Uh, in that facility with him, trying to get him out of the ventilator. Um, anyway, he was able to, but it was a long time. And and then I developed um, what is called a, is it hypersensitivity pneumonitis, which actually I get scar tissue in my lungs. And uh, and it's not that we don't know what it is. Um, and it could be related to my birds. <laughs> and I love my birds. And uh, I'm stable. And uh, but I and I'm not giving them up anyway. <laughs> the um, so but every time I think about it, when I feel that, and I do exercise and I'm doing all oh, hiking and everything, but when I feel that I'm not feeling so great, then I start thinking I'm going to end up like Lisio. And uh, I don't want to live like that. And and um and what's going to happen with my babies. <laughs> so, but each time I breathe, you know, that's what I think I haven't done any meditation of focusing my breathing because I didn't want to think about uh, that. Um, so that's all. So these are, these are all really important questions. First, I'm just sensing how difficult it can be to be with a partner who's very sick, to have been in the hospital while your partner was on the ventilator it's scary and difficult and there's not much you can do you can be there but that's not your your task isn't to fix them but it's to let them know that you're there with them and trust that you can get through it but that's really already a huge thing to hold yourself with a lot of kindness about that you've done that and then on top of it you're saying yeah but it's not just his lungs it's mine I too, I have scar tissue and and then it brings up fear. I'm gonna end up like him. I'll be on a ventilator. I can't take care of my children. I, you know. So so there's all that fear. So first thing is I like to invite you to close your eyes for a moment. And you know, feel as you do, just tune in to this moment in your body 
and feel the fear that's come, which is completely natural. You know, it's trying to keep you safe, saying, I have to figure out how to stay safe. And imagine that you could wrap some compassion around the fear, not trying to get rid of it or make it go away because it's trying to help you. And say, thank you for trying to keep me safe. Dear fear, I'm okay just now. Because it's always about the future. I'm okay. And I think I will be okay. And notice what happens when you actually sense the fear in your body and heart and meet it with loving awareness and keeping your eyes closed. Tell me what you notice. I um, feel warm. And I feel safe. And I'm not panicking. <laughs> yes. Beautiful. So feel that. Just as you describe it, stay with the sense of safety and warmth. And know that this is in you, that, you know, in one minute you were able to drop into a place that could hold all the story and fear and so forth from a much wiser and bigger heart you could hold all this and so feel that this is available to you now the next thing is because you have your hand there on your heart and your lungs instead of paying attention to your breathing with your hand on your lungs do a little metta or loving kindness for your lungs and say um May you be happy, lungs. May my lungs be happy. Sounds silly, but try it. Seriously, it's silly, but do it. May my lungs be happy and safe. Like you were holding a child, but now it's the child of your lungs. May my lungs be happy and safe. And as you feel it and say it, notice what happens. What do you notice? Like, um, like they're expanding and they're happy. They like it. They're happy. <laughs> yeah. So when you're ready, let your eyes open. And in a sense, I mean, that was beautiful what you did. So I really appreciate it. In a sense, what you're doing is shifting your meditation from trying to be aware of the breathing to first bringing in compassion for all the emotions, including the fear and so forth. You're doing a loving kindness and compassion practice. And then you're directing loving kindness to your body. And so my recommendation for you is to not do too much mindfulness of breathing. You don't have to do that because it scares you. (laughs) It's fine. It's trustworthy. But there are lots of other ways to do practice loving kindness instead and go through your body may my head be happy my shoulders my heart may my eyes you know you can bring loving kindness gently through your body as a way to start and then instead of your breath maybe you just sit and listen to the sounds around you and feel a connection in the present or steadiness on the earth and let the breath breathe itself in its own way how's this sound that sounds great I don't have to think about them. I, I just only can love them. Right? Yeah, they they um, they like that. So <laughs> thank you so much, because this is an important question, not just for you, but how do we deal with these kind of difficulties? 
and you can feel the safety that's come and the kindness. So thank you. Thank you. Sure. Okay, so we have another question, and this comes from Ilkan. So please forgive me if I'm pronouncing your name incorrectly. And she's connecting from Turkey. And she has a question about how to mindfully hold tragic events that are happening in the world. Ilkan, where are you in Turkey? Right now, I'm in Istanbul, Jake. And what part of Turkey is your family from? Um, some of them, uh, one of them is from the place the earthquake happened. Yes. One of them, they're close. Yes. They're not living there right now. Well, I'm, you know, I'm so moved by the tragedy and the the suffering from the quake and so many people so many families so many children so many homes um it's almost it, it's almost unfathomable to take in it's so you know so huge so thank you for first being here and also for being steady with it even though it's almost impossible Thank you for your support, actually. I'm just listening to you and Tara's voice last couple of days, and it's a refugee for me and for my friends. I can witness it, and thank you. Thank you so much for your support. So a couple of things, maybe. One of the first is that the, the training of mindfulness um, directs you to live more in the present moment. If you look into the future, then there's all kinds of fears that come, and understandable ones. You know, and if you look in the past couple of days, there's all the news and so forth. The invitation of meditation is to steady yourself because that's what's needed in the long haul. You need two things you need love which i can feel from you the care for each other but also there has to be some people in the midst of it all that are steady while everybody else is kind of losing their way um you become a gift of saying we're human beings we've been through so many tragedies over the years of epidemics and earthquakes and tsunamis and we help each other, and we will help each other now. And you become the steady one with a lot of love and a lot of tears. The meditation helps you also feel your seat on the earth and your breath and all the tears that come through you. I'd like to ask you as you look at the screen, can you see all the faces can you let yourself see all the little squares rather than the spotlight i can now you can and then i want to ask everybody who's on this call because all of us have heard the news and our heart reaches out i'd like you all to gaze at her 
he couldn't. And you keep your eyes open. And I want everybody to look at you and offer their compassion and their support and their loving kindness. And you just look in the eyes of all these people. Keep your eyes open if you can. And take it in because there's a tremendous amount of caring. People will send money. People will send what they can. I want you to feel that you're supported and cared about. And it's not just you, but it's all of them in Turkey and Syria. Take this in, know that you're not alone and that there is a loving support from all around the world. Yes, yeah. And then one more thing. I want you and all those watching to picture and think of all the helpers. I want you to picture the people who are streaming in to the cities and to the broken buildings and to the people who are, you know, buried or lost. How many people are coming to help? That there's not just the tragedy. But there's this human outpouring within Turkey, within Syria, of people and people from around the world, the earthquake teams from Japan and from Germany and the U.S. and so forth, sending people saying, we're here with you and feel that there's a there's a gathering of those who care so that you understand how we also care for each other. And we've learned to do this over thousands of years. Yeah. So we mostly just want you to know that we're grateful that you're with us and giving voice to something so important that we can join with you. And that we're with you. Thank you. I feel the support in my heart. And I feel it I'm carrying now to my land and to people here who really need the support. Yes. Yes. Your heart. I, I could feel a broad smile to my face and like happiness tears are coming thank you so much yes yeah so much and you can do this you can be the one who is loving and steady and present so thank you for your gifts so Lorena another yeah. sure so we have a turn and the have a question about how to move past the surface emotion and get to the root. Hi, Tarn. 
Hi, Jack. Um, thank you so much for holding this Q&A. Um, my question is really on the day-to-day close relationship that I have and specifically with people who are close to me, for example, my husband. So I'm trying to um, apply the mindfulness practice to the emotions that I have um, on a day-to-day. But I feel like a lot of the time I get stuck when I try to recognize the emotions that I'm having. I'm just, you know, kind of define it as annoyance or anger. But I feel like I'm not getting deeper and understanding myself more and and not getting to the healing part of it. So I'm just wondering whether you have any practical advice on how to perhaps get to the root cause and not just staying on the surface. Well, it's a beautiful and important question, not just for you, but for all of us in relationship, because we we get triggered or we get reactive to one another in ways that pull on our past and pull on our fears and so forth. Um, Where are you calling in from, just to know? Oh, you have to unmute yourself. Uh And you can leave it. You leave yourself muted. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm calling from Hamburg, Germany, but I'm originally from Thailand. Okay. From Thailand? Yes. (laughs) Tinai, Jawana. กรุงเทพแอนด์ลําปางค่ะกรุงเทพโอเคสวัสดีใจมากโอเคโอเคโอเคโอเคโอเคโอเคโอเคโอเคโอเคโอเคโอเคโอเคโอเคโอเคโอ
because I had been caught in all my ideas of how it was supposed to be and control and make it okay. And she said, you know, change happens, Anicca. <laughs> all right, so the, to take it deeper, I'd like to invite you to close your eyes for a moment. Quintan. <laughs> However you, yes, okay. And um, just quiet for a moment. And then I'd like you to remember a moment or a time when you felt quite annoyed and angry um, in your relationship with your husband. You can remember. And we'll do two things with it once you remember. Can you remember a time? Yeah. All right. So first thing is um, let yourself feel where it's centered in your body, that annoyance and anger. And tell me with your eyes closed. In your head. Yeah, right there in forehead. So bring a very kind attention to it, a loving awareness. And notice when you bring that loving awareness of compassion, because it's painful there. You're not trying to fix it or make it go away. You're just holding it with metta and, and karuna and loving, loving kindness. Notice what happens to it. And as you notice, just mindfully present, tell me with your eyes closed, what happens? What do you notice occur? Start loosening up. Yeah. So notice that and let it loosen. You're not trying to loosen it, but just the attention and kindness itself allows it to release. <clears throat> now, underneath anger, there is often fear or hurt. There can be other things too. But as you let yourself feel this in a much kinder way, let yourself also know, you can know what's touched underneath this. Is there a fear? Is there a hurt? Is there something else? You can know. And what bubbles up? What what do you become aware of? The feeling of um, unimportance. That you're not important. Mm -hmm. Yes. And how old do you feel when you feel that? Where did that start back then? How old were you when you started to feel that? First time. Mm. I think it's when I was abandoned as a child, probably less than five years old. Yeah. So hold this five-year-old girl who doesn't know if people care about her. Mm. People are dismissing her, you know, is she really respected and listened to and so forth. First thing is just hold that child with kindness. 
because she still feels hurt or sensitive. And she was. You're not that child anymore. You can be the loving witness of this child, but she's asking for your attention. And she's afraid that she's not being attended to and respected and cared for. Is she okay with your kindness and holding her? And now I want you to imagine that you could communicate with your husband, maybe not in the heat of being so upset, but say, you know, sometimes when this or that happens, I feel like it triggers me. It reminds me from my little childhood that somehow I'm not respected or not cared about or not listened to. Um, that's what it feels like in me. And imagine you could say that because it's a very vulnerable thing to say. Mm -hmm. You're not talking about him, not talking about blame. Imagine you could say that and then let yourself imagine how he would respond. How do you think he'd respond? With calmness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And well, he might, would... yeah, and he might even apologize. <laughs> yeah, certainly with some kind of care. I didn't mean to to do something where you felt disrespected. I was just trying to do my own thing. Mm -hmm. and, you know, and then you took it that way, but that's not what I meant. Mm -hmm. So now you're in the field of mindfulness of conflict and emotion, the very thing that you asked about. And you're bringing to it a mindful, loving awareness, a compassion for that little girl, five-year-old girl who's sensitive to these things. And then the wisdom to say, oh, I can know this and hold it with kindness, and I can even express it, not with blame or judgment, just saying, this is what's here. And then you find that you get a very different response. Mm. And when you're ready, let your eyes open. How are you doing? I just didn't realize how deep the pain goes, I think. Yes. Yeah. So that also means that you want to have a very deep and big compassion. And, to, and we all, you know, as I said, if everyone were to raise their hand about having had conflict, <laughs> all the hands would go up. And so we all are invited to have this kind of tenderness because it can be very deep. What would that little girl like? Last question. What's her favorite food? <laughs> um, I would say seafood. Seafood, yeah. <laughs> I think you need to take her out for a special meal and say, listen, 
You know, it's not just your husband. I'm going to take care of you too. I'm taking care of you from now on. I'm with you and all the, and I love you. And you're, you're, you're not going to be, you know, dismissed from me by me either. And let's go and have a really great seafood dinner. Uh-huh. We'll do that. Thank you so much, Jack. Yeah. Jack, are you ready for another question? I am. Okay, we I'm have... having a good time, actually, even though this is about suffering. The beautiful thing is that, um, and it's very much central in Buddhist teachings, that the no the Buddhist noble truths or basic truths say that there's suffering in life, but that's not the end of the story. Suffering's the first truth and its causes, fear, greed, hatred, and so forth. But then there's a path to the end of suffering, which is really what we're practicing. So I'm grateful that we have this dialogue. All right, yeah, let's see who's next. So we have been with a question on how to work with difficult emotions when mindfulness isn't accessible. Mm. Want to say hi to Jack, Ben? Oh my God, who's that little person? Yeah, this is Samuel Bodie. This is my my first son here. Oh, Bodie, how great to meet you! Yo, Samuel Bodie, what a treat. <laughs> yeah, thank you for taking my question. Um I think it kind of bookends with the with the last person there. And um I had a I had a really difficult childhood as well with a with a lot of traumas and and about eight years ago I really dove dove into meditation and I, I went on to a uh some Goanka retreats and I've and I've gotten so much out of that, but I believe this course has really helped me with self-compassion. But there's been a lot of instances where I'm not I'm not sure that I've made progress with with things when I'm trying to sit with really deep emotions or whether it be anger or or grief. And I was wondering if it, it's even advisable to. Well, first of all, um, there's a lot of things to say. I love the fact that you're here with your little boy. Um, and, it, you know, I treasured the time when my daughter was that size. And at the same time, it's tremendously demanding. It's yeah. like if you, go to, if you go to a Zen monastery, you know, and they say you have to sit and you don't move and you do your Yeah, it's one thing. But then, you you know, with the, the or you get to go to sleep with a kid like this. There's no time off in the middle of the night, whatever. It's a, it's a great Zen practice and a really demanding one, um, but also one of the great joys of life. So I congratulate you and Samuel Bodhi. Then um, I really appreciate that you have done retreats. The Gwenka retreats are great retreats. And, you know, there are many kinds of wonderful retreats. Um, the question about progress, is first, I'll take that first, is really important. I remember my dear friend Ramdas saying, when I first started to meditate, I had anger and annoyance, you know, and fear and greed and so forth. And now, 40 years later, when I meditate, I still have anger and greed and fear and confusion. He said, but they don't bother me. They just come and go, you know, like clouds. They're there, but I don't take them personally. 
So that's the first thing to say. If you have an ideal that you're going to get rid of this, it's like getting rid of your humanity. You will have tiredness and emotions of all kinds and, you know, whether it's frustration or anger things. And they're just, you know. Uh -huh. so, so, so that's the first thing to say. It's just being human. And when you bring in the quality of compassion and loving kindness, you realize, oh, you're just holding your, you know, your humanity with a with a self-compassion and kindness. Um, then the next question, what about these strong emotions? Um, again, we often think if we do it right, we'll get rid of them. And that they still come means either you failed or you're not being able to do it right. Sometimes it's helpful just to sit and make space. And sometimes when I got really angry because my father was violent and abusive in all kinds of terrible ways. So I also had a pretty traumatic childhood um, and it would come up. And at times I said, I'm just going to sit and let myself feel it because it wasn't just my father. It was in me now. He wasn't even in the room. <laughs> and there it was. Um, and sometimes I could do that. I could breathe and ground and bring some kindness to it. Sometimes it felt overwhelming. And then I said, all right, I can't be balanced with this now. I'm going to do some walking meditation. I'm going to shift and do some loving kindness for my boy, for my you know, wife, for my community, whatever, whoever you're, my partner. Um, and um, I'll come back when it's a little easier because the point isn't to drown, but actually to find a way to navigate. And your question is really wise. Cause you're asking that from an inward sense that sometimes I can be with things and sometimes it seems like a bit too much and let me find another way. Let me take a walk or let me, you know, breathe outside with the trees. Let me do some loving kindness, something else. And I'll come back to this. Um, most important is not to use the meditation to judge yourself with it. Uh, Let's see. How's this? How's this resonating? It, it resonates really well. I think. I think with my son here, it, it, there's, it feels like there's an urgency that I need to relax. Like it feels like okay, you have all these issues that you need to deal with now, and yeah. you know, I don't pass on any trauma to him. And 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 I. But to me, it's it's amazing to look into his eyes and see the love that I want to feel for myself, and it's. Um. And I'm trying to find where I'm getting stuck on feeling because he loves me unconditionally. No yeah. judgment. This age yeah. is falling. And it's so beautiful and amazing, but it can be also so like poignant and, and a little painful to me that I don't feel that love for myself completely. Yes. And what you say is so poignant. I will tell you that um, when my daughter was young, we put money into a therapy fund for her. I mean, it's partly funny, but it was partly true because we knew we tried to be good parents, but we knew we would mess up. And the nice thing is that they're resilient. There's that phrase, a good enough parent from this famous psychoanalyst, Winnicott, who was one of the great kind of mentors for wise child rearing. They're made of rubber. They bounce. Even if you drop them, they're OK. They're, they're very, very resilient. They want to learn. And yes, they pick up stuff, which is part of their task and their karma if you love yourself and love them that's at the center of it all just what you're saying 
and um, the rest of it. They, he doesn't need a perfect father, and you don't need a perfect child. He is perfect now, but you know, someday when he's a teenager, he won't be quite as perfect. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. You get to love him, and he gets to love you. And what you said is really, is really, is actually what's really perfect and beautiful. So you're, yeah, I just, everybody on screen gets the treat of watching you with little Samuel Bodie, and um, it's making us all happy. So you succeeded. Thank you. Thank you, Jack. What do you think? Should we take one more? Uh, we have one more lineup for you when you're, if you're ready. Okay, last one. Okay, so we have um, Sheena who have a question about finding peace around family um, members' difficulties. Hi, Sheena. Hello. Where are you? <laughs> Just give me a minute to. Um... Uh, arrive feels a bit unreal. Um, so I might just anyway. Um, um, so um, talking about my son, and my son um talks about um ending his life. And um, yeah, and just um, and um, listening to the meditations and one of the meditations in the course is um, uh, talking about having a peaceful heart or living with a peaceful heart, which um, I'm holding on to, and yeah. And yeah, and I guess, um, yeah, you know, I kind of one, I think, as a parent, um, that's uh, uh, one of the most difficult things to sit with, and because he's older. I don't have any control. Yeah, how old is he? He's nearly 21. And, yes. as, you know, it's a difficult time. And, and it's an impulsive time. And, you know, and, and yeah. And, yeah, so I guess... Um, feeling that I don't have any control as I did when he was, or I had more control when he was younger, but what can I do for him? You know, how can I help, really? Yes. You know, because I, you know, because it's a tran, I'm transitioning. I used to be able to help him practically, I could do things. But now I can't, so it's a it's a different. I don't know how to be an ad, a parent of an adult child. You know? Yes, yes. So, so um, I see in the chat there's lots of other people who are with you, 
And first, I'm just taking it in because I spent a week or two ago, I was with a very close friend whose son also was saying he wasn't sure he could live or not. He had ideas of taking his own life. And what you're describing is one of the hardest things we can live with as a parent. So first of all, I just don't want to make light of it in any way or say, oh, you can practice with this. This is extremely difficult. Mm -hmm. um, that's the first thing. And just to acknowledge how hard it is um, and to be able to stay even a little bit steady is very, very demanding. Mm -hmm. And the next thing is to say that you're not alone in this. Not only did I see it in the chat, but actually you are with probably a million other mothers who have teenagers or young adults who are talking about taking their own life or, you know, who are afraid for that. And I want you to feel that it's not just you, but it's the, it's the mothers of the world that have to hold this. It's not just yours to hold. And since even as we talk, that there's a kind of a, I don't know, a sisterhood with all these mothers who hold both the beauty of their children and also the suffering and the tragedy and the pains of it. And see if you can sense this as we talk. <laughs> and then one of the things that I learned early on in this is that people who are suicidal, they are right that something needs to die, but they incorrectly think that it's their body. Their body's not doing anything wrong. It's something in their situation. It's the work that they're in, the relationship that they're stuck in, the, the overwhelm of how do I pull my life together or the demands that they put on themselves from the society, you know, that has to die. Um, and they know that they have to be able to let that go or die to something. So something new can come. Mm -hmm. And when you understand that, then there's a sympathy for the impulse because it knows that something has to die so something new can happen, but not the body. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for people to have even a glimmer of that in that circumstance means, oh, yeah, I guess I have to look and see what it is that really does need to die. And you are knowing that also. You, in a way, you carry the dual role of being the loving mother. And also because we're so close with our children, you also get to make conscious things that may not be so conscious to your boy. And even your ability to sense what it is that has to die or what it is that's so painful that needs to be held in compassion mm -hmm. um, and despair mm -hmm. and so forth. Um, there is no simple answer. But okay. the extent that you can feel yourself connected with all the mothers and especially the mothers who have children at risk across the world, and realize we have to do this together. 
and stay steady with that and feel nourished from it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, um, I feel that's helpful and um, and that idea that something has to die. And, you know, because, you know, I'm kind of uh, in a funny position because I am a counsellor. I do work with people who think about ending their life um, but in that um, situation and then with my son but um, that's an interesting perspective I haven't heard that before of yes something does need to die you know I, like, I can appreciate that that you're feeling something needs to die but it might not be your body you know yeah or, yeah yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate that you do that work for others. And as we know, it, the hardest place can be when someone in our own family is suffering. That's the Absolutely. most. And families are just, Absolutely. you know, they're the, that's the final frontier of practice. Even the Buddha and Jesus had a hard time when they went home to their families. <laughs> so <laughs> it's not just you. It is. It's. No, it's the most demanding and, and and the most tender and the most connected and the most sensitive and the place where we love so deeply. So we have to end this class. I'm so glad you're taking this training to whatever extent that you can use this just to ground yourself, bring in loving kindness, compassion, forgiveness for yourself and your son. All of that will be so helpful. And I guess the last thing to say is I'm just so grateful for the honesty of everyone who spoke up for you, Sheena, and everyone else. And remind you that please consider consider joining Cloud Sangha because you can have groups like this where you have support from other people. Mm-hmm. So blessings and carry on. You have another Thank week you. or so to do this training and may it bring you support and everybody's sending you in the chat their love and their blessings so they're with you sheena we are all of thank you yeah